Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 128. We're actually closing out a season here, an eight-episode season. Um, we're wrapping up, and we're going to have a little bit of time off as we stockpile some content and, and relaunch another season here um, in the next couple of weeks. But uh, to end things off, we've got a longtime CSP athlete, actually started at our Massachusetts facility, I believe after his freshman year of high school. Um, wonderful dude who has college, um, obviously high school and professional experience to share. Made his major league debut last year. One of my absolute uh, favorite guys out there. Um, really lots of good pearls of wisdom on this, ranging from pitch design to mechanics to uh, you know the, the process of interacting with coaches who may want to coach the different out of you. Um, just a really, really good head on his shoulders. And, and I really enjoyed this, despite the fact that I've talked to him a bunch over the years. Uh, I've obviously trained him for an extended period of time. I actually learned a lot that we hadn't really covered in other conversations. So I think you'll enjoy this. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exerciser life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a left-handed pitcher who was raised in Massachusetts and attended Virginia Tech. Over three years at Virginia Tech, he threw 177 innings and was selected by the Cincinnati Reds in the ninth round of the 2017 Major League Draft. Over parts of three seasons, he worked his way up the ranks of the Reds minor league system before he was traded to the Angels in 2020. He did not play in a minor league game in 2020 due to the cancellation of the season because of the COVID-19 pandemic. However, on August 4th, 2021, the Angels called him up to the big leagues, and four days later, he made his debut in relief at Dodger Stadium against the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
In March of 2020, the Angels designated him for assignment, at which time he was claimed by the Cardinals. At the time of this recording, he's made seven appearances, including two starts for St. Louis, posting a 3.09 ERA. Please welcome to the show, Packy Naughton. Packy, welcome to the show. This is very long overdue. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. You've been a CSP guy since, since I think age 15. Um, you're one of the, the CSP mass original guys, and then you've become a, a CSP Florida guy. So it's been cool to see your your long-term development. And I actually counted the other day that you're one of five, excuse me, four guys who were age 15 at the facility that are now in the big leagues. So oh, that's pretty cool. Cool little like lesson on long-term athletic development. So um, let's talk about it, man. But what was interesting about you is uh, that you were one of those guys that had Tommy John at a young age. Um, and you kind of did it before it was as normal as it is now. Like we didn't know back then how these things turn out. Um, you know, talk a little bit about some of the lessons you learned with having the procedure so early in high school, and then maybe what advice you would give to other kids who are, who are dealing with adversity that young as it becomes more common. Yeah. Kind of one of the big things that, uh, I kind of thought about was, kind of I had to grow up really quick because I mean both of my parents worked and so I would get out of school and I mean it happened in May so I had the summer mm -hmm. but after the summertime when I was going into the next year um having to kind of grow up and like get to rehab myself and like do all these important things I, like as I said like it happened the day before my 17th birthday so 16 17 years old and having to do all these things and you know if I didn't do them when I was younger who knows if I would be where I am today, I might've had setbacks or, you know, whatever it might've been. But, um, you know, I kind of learned to, to just grow up and, and, you know, like you got to figure your stuff out nobody's going to do it for you. And I mean, I think that that's part of partly why I've been successful in pro balls because it's all on you. If you want to do it, go do it. If you don't, nobody, yeah. nobody's going to tell you, Hey, you got to go do this. You know, maybe at the yeah. low levels they will, but, um, you know, it's kind of just, all come full circle, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, but another thing that I was thinking about um, is it's never as bad as you think it is. One of the lessons that I was, I was learning, um, you know, I, again, I was a 17 year old kid having this major surgery on my elbow and I was making a decision that, okay, yeah, baseball, I guess is going to be part of my life for quite some time. Um, and at that point I was like, Oh, the draft is coming up. I'm missing area code. I'm missing all this stuff. Mm -hmm it's not as big as you think it is, you know, eventually if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and you'll get there eventually depending on, you know, how hard you work and how hard you want to try and how important everything actually is for you. Um, so yes, it's never as bad as you think it is. When you look back on it, um, I mean, obviously you're a Northeast kid. It, it was hard to play year round. Like you're a guy who played multiple sports growing up and all that. When you look back on, you know, causative factors, you know, what in your mind do you think kind of played into it? You know, there's, there's obviously the kind of like a, we'll, we'll talk about it later, maybe a little bit more of a high maintenance delivery and, and stuff like that. When you, when you look back, what were the, the key things that you think contributed to Tommy John surgery? Yeah. Um, so I actually, I had a bone chip in my elbow from when I was a kid and I had mm -hmm. elbow pain when I was younger. So I got an x-rayed like a whatever. Mm -hmm. And the showed this bone chip and the doctor was like, it's in scar tissue. It's not moving it might've caused a little bit of discomfort, but it'll, once the swelling goes down and once the inflammation goes down, it should be fine. So knew about that. And then one day it just decided to get out of that scar tissue and go and mess up my UCL and 
my ulnar nerve. My nerve was pretty messed up too. So, um, I guess that, but, um, also, you know, I long tossed a lot when I hit, like when I started first going to my pitching coach and I think it attributed to some of the velocity jumps that I saw when I was in high school. But I also think that, you know, throwing long toss probably three, four five times a week, however much I was doing it could have also had an, an, I think we see that a fair amount nowadays is, you know, those low grade injuries at a young age, sometimes they're, you know, they're covered up when you're, when you're 14 and throwing 68 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden you get some arm speed and it's kind of like nobody pulls their hamstrings until they start running fast. Um, and, And I think we see that a lot. And nowadays there's, there's really no such thing as a normal elbow in these, you know, these 18 and 19 year olds that are, that are being drafted. So we just have to be mindful that sometimes the, the Tommy John unfortunately becomes part of the process because we're, we're dealing with someone who may be structurally not where they need to be, even if mechanics are better, the nutrition's better, the sleep, the training, all that stuff is taken care of. So good that you learned the lesson at a young age. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Um, one question I did have as a follow-up and it's kind of occurring to me off of my, my initial list of questions is, so you're May Tommy John. And, and historically speaking, guys who have Tommy John early in the year seem to always struggle in the subsequent year. Whereas the ones that, you know, that blow out in September, they kind of just know that the next season is not happening. And they, they kind of have that 18 month timeline until they come back in, you know, February or March of, you know, two years later. So I'm curious, what was your, when did you get back in games off of a May Tommy John? Obviously you, you were going into your senior year of high school when it happened. So did you pitch your senior high school? Uh, no, I DH'd and played first base. They let me play first base. Um, but what I did is I didn't end up throwing live until the summer. So I didn't pitch at all. And summer after I went and played in the Boston park league just because I needed somewhere to throw in college that fall. So I was like, okay, it's either, I don't have a travel ball team or anything that I can go and throw for. So I needed to get off the mound. So I went down to the Boston Park League and played for um, one of those teams for a couple of days. And then I actually went out to Virginia Tech mm-hmm. and I finished off the rehab. I went to summer school out there, mm-hmm. a couple classes under my belt. Um, so in, I think I went in July, I was there for July and August. Okay. And then towards the end of that, I was facing some live hitters that were still in Blacksburg. Yep. So I faced them a couple of times towards the end and then fall ball came around and I was good to go. So I really eased my way into it. I didn't jump full steam into it. And I think that's why my recovery and my time coming back was pretty quick and efficient. Yeah. We have a lot of kids that, you know, they put a lot of pressure on themselves during it. You know, it's, you just outlined it. It's, you know, kind of like a 14 month average return to play. Um, And I always tell guys, Hey, don't be afraid to like take a day. If it's hanging, if it's not feeling good, you know, even the best pitchers on the planet, they make, you know, 32, 33 starts. There's going to be a couple clunkers in there. Even if you're, you know, Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer or Clayton Kershaw, did you have days in your rehab, you know, particularly throwing in in some cold weather at times when it just wasn't awesome or was it pretty smooth sailing? Oh yeah. There were times when I thought I fully retore it. (laughs) There were days I'd wake up and be like, Oh my goodness, my elbow is absurdly throbbing right now. And, that's just part of the healing process, you know, like your body's got to heal itself, you allow it to and just rush into it and think, oh, I'm fixed. You know, Tommy John surgery, it fixed everything. I'm good to go because you're not, you know, you're you're going to think you are. And then the, the first time you have a hiccup, and you feel something, mm-hmm. you're gonna freak out. So the more that you can kind of not freak out and just accept it, 
mm-hmm. all good, you're going to be okay, the better off you'll be. Absolutely. And I, I think there's a good lesson there is you're asking a, a tendon to become a ligament. And no matter how motivated you are with your ligament, with your, excuse me, with your rehabilitation, there's a timeline for that biological adaptation to, to happen. And sometimes teenagers don't get that. So you're, you were wise behind your ears. <laughs> um, so b- build on that. I mean, what were some of the perks and the drawbacks of, in your mind of growing up in a, in a cold weather climate as a, a pitcher, you know, we've, we've had Ty Beattie on here and he was another guy who's, you know, a 15 year old CSP guy who's, you know, since made it to the big leagues and he had some comments on, it. I'm curious what your perspective were about the blessings and the drawbacks. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, mentally it's tough and job. Like you got to go out there. There were days when I, we were facing, we were playing high school and it was, literally and i was like why are we out here but you know doing that and then having to go and play in virginia and then um the minor leagues and in dayton ohio when it's cold these guys that come from the southern states and they might go to a southern school yeah for february you might have a day or two where it's 40 degrees 55 degrees and that's the coldest you're gonna get you're not gonna get 20 25 degrees where you're playing in some snow or the rain is freezing cold and you know um another thing trying to find a place i mean luckily i had your spot to go work out but a lot of guys they don't have that you know they don't have spots so they're kind of going outside in the middle of the cold and they're going and they're trying to find a place to throw and got to kind of be creative i remember one winter um i had to get my throwing in and dad it, it just snowed out and we were like oh we have <laughs> We ended up going back to the in uh, West Roxbury and throwing on a like plowed out part of the, the, the parking lot. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. So, you know, building on this cold weather kind of dynamic, you went a little bit further south, you went to Virginia Tech for your college career. Um, and, and I'm actually really intrigued because your, your college, you know, kind of timeline was, was unique. So you were nine and 10 in your, your career at Virginia Tech over three years and, and never had an ERA, you know, below 4.9. So in your sophomore and junior years, it was, it was over six. But what's interesting, you went to the Cape after your, uh, your sophomore year. Um, you were a Cape Cod all-star. You made eight starts, had a 1.86 ERA where, you know, conceivably the competition's even better. Um, so I'm curious, you know, that obviously catapulted you into the you know top 10 rounds in the draft the next year. What was the biggest difference between the two for you? Was it just, you know, aluminum to wood bats or was it a mentality? What, what changed in that summer on the Cape? So I think it was, it was honestly getting away from school, you know, at school there, you're going to 6am, you're going to the field every afternoon, you're around your friends, you got to go to school in between down the Cape. I just wanted to play baseball. My job was to go and play baseball. You know, I kind of got away from other distractions that may have hindered my field ability. And the other thing, down the cake, I'm the one calling my pitches. I'm throwing what I want to throw. Mm-hmm. And I'm learning and reading 
hitters how I see it, not how the coach that's sitting at an angle like this can see it, you know? Um, I threw my jump. I threw my curveball. I threw everything that I wanted to throw. Where at Virginia Tech, it was all kind of at the mercy of the coach and what he wanted and what he thought was best. So I think kind of being able to go and, and develop and do my own stuff really helped me. That's interesting. And and then obviously, you know, this kind of continued. What's interesting is you, you've, you've never had an ERA through minor league baseball until you got to the PCL where we know nobody has an ERA under four. Um, you know, so do, do you think it was a lot of the same stuff, you know, that, you know, you got hit less in pro ball just because you had a little bit more ownership of the process and more conviction in each pitch. Definitely. And it also goes back to kind of the lesson I learned in Tommy John, like you have to learn to take care of your own stuff. Mm -hmm. I need to develop a slider or something that spins. It's on me. You know, every week that I go out there, what I do, it's on me. The preparation that I do, it's on me. It's, I don't have a coach telling me, Hey, go do this or Hey, go do this. They have pieces to a puzzle and that you can fit that those pieces in certain places to help you grow. But at the end of the day, you're the one making your decision and you're the one making the pitch and you're the one executing. So you got to know what you need to do in order to do that. I'm always curious too, like we've seen some players over the years who, who thrive more as they go to higher levels, just because the, the access to information is better. You know, you certainly you've been in, in three different you know professional organizations now, you know, was that something that, you know, was kind of a wealth of information when you, when you were first drafted by the Reds, all of a sudden you had all this stuff to look at and you had it, haven't pre hadn't had it previously. So you, you started to learn about who you were and why you were successful or, or do you think it was more of just like the, the former stuff we were talking about where it was conviction in every pitch and, you know, you know, charting your own destiny. I'd say it's more so the, the conviction in each pitch rather than information. Now the information helped me a lot. Don't mm -hmm. get me wrong, mm -hmm. but I also kind of made adjustments along the way on how I pitch also. Like I've, I have also tweaked some little things, not necessarily based on numbers, the numbers kind of helped, but I'm also kind of old school when it comes to, to my thought process in baseball. Um, so, like, numbers, they helped. And, yeah, like, I like to look at them as, as a guideline and, and where I can be and where I'm at. But I'm not going in there every day like, oh, my my axis was a little bit off and my, my spin rate was a little bit down. This Maybe that's why my slider was bad. Well, no, I, I might have just been babying it and didn't have the conviction and that can all play the role in why those numbers are down you know like i think there are other things behind reasons that can help fix you so to speak Absolutely. you know you mentioned access so you throw both a two seam and a four seam and i think we're seeing more guys in baseball that are you know that are really chasing you know kind of the elusive two high pro you know high profile fastballs um, you throw them in relatively similar percentages. I'm sure the difference is, you know, between righty and lefty and all that. Um, but let's talk about the mentality on both, because there are a lot of pitchers that struggle to differentiate the two um, and they wind up like blending together. So, you know, when you throw your four seam and your two seam, what are, what are the thought processes there? Yeah. So um, four seam and two seam, I'm kind of, it's always going to be aggressive. You know, you always want to be really aggressive through the zone with, with both of them. Um, kind of my thought process though, with the two seam is I'm trying to get a ground ball with it. You know, like I'm trying to go after a guy and, 
you know, first couple pitches of an at bat, get a ground ball, or if I'm finishing off, if I'm finishing them off, I want to get it to my spot, you know, like, so I'm going to have a little, it's not, a, I don't have a, a crazy sinker, but I have enough where it's going to miss a barrel and it's going to induce a ground ball. So what I want to do is I want to kind of throw it lone away or just where it's just going to miss their, their barrel, their bat path. Where with the four seam, I'm kind of trying to, to jam a dude and, and get them to, to, I'm trying to make them uncomfortable at the plate. So usually I'm going inside or up, um, trying to make them uncomfortable, get them off of something, allow me to open, maybe open up another door or open mm-hmm. something else up, something that I can use. Um, but really what I'm doing is, Usually what I do is is four seam is glove side and then two seam is usually arm side. I don't like to really come across my body with my two seam because then I can leak it back. Where my four seam, I'm able to really jam it in there and force it in there. So that's kind of like how I differentiate the two and, and mm-hmm. how I can kind of separate them and keep them separate. Mm-hmm. And try to cross. I don't try to make one do what the other one should do. Do you do you have a different thought process on the actual baseball in terms of how you import impart force to the baseball? Is there a cue that that works differently for each one? I know some guys, you know, try hard to get to the inside of the baseball on a two seam and actually pronate it. Other guys are say, hey, just trust the grip and rip it. Where, where do you stand on all of it? So I'm majority of me is trust the grip and rip it. Mm-hmm. But part of me, so I'm a I'm my changeup is my pitch. That's 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 you know, that's that's my out pitch. That's my yeah. strike. So when I'm throwing my good changeup, I can really feel myself on the inside of the ball and feel how I'm getting overly extended and through it. With the the, the two seam, I, that when I throw it good, that's similar to how I feel when I'm releasing the ball. So I wouldn't say that I like I like to think that, but when I feel that, I know that it's it's on that day. You, you led right into my next question, the changeup. So we've had BD on here. We've had Kyle Hendricks who gave like a, a changeup clinic. You know, what are your, what are your cues to yourself? Obviously you mentioned standing inside of the baseball, like Ty talked about holding an egg. Um, and Hendricks has two different changeups. So it's a little bit of a different discussion. What are, what are the key uh, conversation points for you on that front? Throw it. Throw yeah. it. Yeah. Cause I don't, I, I guess I would say I naturally, pronate almost i don't know i have i have i'm really good at getting pronation throughout the ball um so for me i i just like to rip it just in catch play every time i throw it i'm never throwing it just to baby it in there i'm always throwing it with conviction and trying to get the the same movement every single time out of it because that's how i get it consistent you know like when i can throw it and i get the same movement inside to a righty down the middle low and inside to a lefty outside to a righty. And I can get those three. When I throw those three in a row, I know that it's going to be a good day and that I'm, I'm doing everything I should be doing. I love that. Um, talk, talk to me about the delivery. Cause it's a, it's a unique delivery, right? It's very aggressive down the mound. A lot of people would say you collapse in your backside that before we get into the ins and outs, I'm, I'm curious how much have people tried to coach the different out of you over the years? Cause it's been, been unique for a long time yeah um i really i've only made one assessment to it in the i started doing it when i was about 14 years old with my pitching coach ace adams back in it's um it's been the people have tried to coach it out of me started in college high school no one ever touched me because i I mean i had my pitching coach so everything was cool but then college they tried, they thought that there was a lot going on and there is, but that's what makes me good. 
it's the funkiness and the quirkiness and people that say that I collapsed my back leg, I would disagree. I would say that I used the heck out of my back leg. Yeah. You know? Um, but I would say in college it was tried they tried to change me quite a bit. And then in Pro Ball, only once did somebody try to truly change me. And that lasted about a day and a half. <laughs> um, but the adjustment that I made in Pro Ball was actually probably the most beneficial adjustment that I've made to my delivery since since I started it. Uh, so I straight up rocker, straight back, straight forward. Yeah. But what happened is when I would go back and start to come forward, my foot, I couldn't get it square. It would open. So when it would leak, I'd be having my momentum coming this way instead of this way. So what I had to do was instead of coming here with it, I just angled myself to an angle. So that way it's easier for me to get my foot around flush with the rubber. And that created my better direction. And ever since I started doing that, my I so I started doing that second half. It was literally the all-star break I changed it of 2018. And since that all-star break, that second half, I had about a, I think I had a 2-5 ERA. The next year, I won minor league pitcher of the year with the Reds. COVID year happened. And then 21, I made my debut. Mm-hmm. So um, ever since I did that, it, it's my career has kind of taken off and yeah. kind of fell into place. So that I will say that I did change it technically. It was adjust. Yeah. It, yeah. It was an I adjusted. Um, and ever since then, it's been. Yeah. Great. But I think the core competencies of you're aggressive down the mountain, the stride is long, you know, and I, I Ace was with the Cardinals and there was kind of a, a generational thing and like the, I mean, when they went to the World Series in 2013, you heard a lot about how up-tempo and aggressive down the mound with Brent Strom's influence and all that, too. And you were a guy that obviously benefited from it because you were, you had the mobility to get there. You understood how to work into your front hip. So I think some guys just get overstrided and soft on the front side. But if you can make it work, it can be great. Definitely. Definitely. You uh, you mentioned the COVID year. And, and I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but like... Was it good for you? Was it a setback? What everyone, I mean, I talked to Josiah Gray and he's like, it was a huge year for me. Everything, everything changed. It was a chance to work on stuff, you know, overcoming, you know, an injury. Like talk to me about what that, that 2020 season meant for your development. Cause obviously you wound up as in the big leagues the next year. Mm-hmm. So 2020 was an interesting year for me. I was living in Orlando at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up moving back up to Boston. I didn't end up going to the alt site with the yeah. red reds then traded me to the angels mm-hmm. angels then called me out to la with about um, five weeks left in the alt site so between me being in florida and like getting my work in i was working out with because ryan newtoff yeah. was down in orlando too he's from orlando or he's from chicago but his dad lives in orlando so me and him were working out and doing stuff um it was a weird year though because then i went back up to boston Played in the same park league that I had played in for rehab with <laughs> Tommy John. Yeah. So I was playing in that. I played like two games and then I got called out to LA. And when I was out in LA, it was like I was I was with the new team. So and I was only there for five weeks. So think about going to spring training and then after spring training's over, you're done with that team. Yeah. So it was kind of like uh there were just a lot of random moving parts, which I don't think I fully developed like I don't think I developed as well as I could have I think I did enough to where it was fine but I think that I if I had had more of a structured steady this is what we're doing this is you know you're not going to go come out to the outside but you're going to be at the same team or you're outside with with whatever 
whatever it might have been, I think that I could have done a little bit more. But I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty, and I'm I'm a big leaguer, so I can't really say that I didn't do enough, or I, you know. So, um, but COVID year was it was a weird, weird year for me. I give you credit though, man, because there were a lot of guys that that just didn't find a way. I mean, you're playing in the park league; it's it's pretty wild to think you know you're, you're playing against guys who are in their forties, and the next year you're pitching in the big leagues against you know dudes in the uh, in the AL West, like good lineup. So um, I think there's something to be said for that. There were a lot of guys that just like waited for the world to to do it for them, and you you found a way, and you know over the course of multiple different states. So um, you know, as as you become a big leaguer now, you you've gone back and forth between starting and relieving. Um, you know, is there one you prefer and, and probably maybe more importantly, you know, how do you manage your, your, your preparation for both in terms of both throwing and the, the training side of things? Yeah. So for the past couple of years, the past two years, I've kind of done a lot of different, I've had a lot of different roles. Um, and last year was kind of a learning experience for me with relieving and start going back and forth because that was the first year I'd ever done it. So I never really knew how to train or knew what throwing program to get on and, you know, I had been a starter my literally my whole career in college, pro ball, everywhere. All I did was start. So then I what I kind of did and at first I kind of panicked myself a little bit was I put too much into oh I didn't get this throwing done or I oh I, I felt really crappy today, so I, I didn't do this or I didn't do that. And I put a lot of focus on the things that I didn't do because I would have been hot that night or I threw the night before and I was going to be hot the next day and I needed to get ready for it. And I put a lot of, of stress kind of on that. And I, I needed to not, because now what I've learned is you got to go, you got to feel your body out and you got to go with what you feel. And that's what I, I think a big thing is in being in this role is, is feeling and knowing how your body reacts to certain things, knowing how you're going to react after a lift. Are you going to be able to go in the game that night if you get your lift in that day? Because like like now, so what I do is I lift twice a week. I lift on every Tuesday and either Friday or Saturday because usually one of them is a day game, and I'll try to get it have it not be the day game. So I'll go same two days whether I'm starting and relieving. If I know that I'm starting, obviously I'll I'll adjust a little bit. Mm-hmm. But if I don't know, I'm I'm still going to keep it. And I'm these and. My preparation, it's it's all the same. Every exercise that I'm doing, my warm-ups are always the same. My arm care is always the same. My routine is always the same because it, that's what I have felt has helped me start and relieve. So um, kind of having that preparation and, and a routine definitely helps. Having that routine and, and knowing what my body needs to get hot and get loose and feel good every day is is i think that's a key lesson for kids too is like if you wait for the perfect time it's never going to come right um you know even even as a starter like you have this core routine you work through and then you get a rain out it turns things on its head or it's a it's a double header instead of right on schedule you get that extra day um and i think you know when you have that core routine and you understand prioritization of like hey these are the highest priority things for me it's you know it's a quality daily warm-up it's getting my arm care my soft tissue work in etc cetera, etc cetera you know that anything else like is, is secondary. So you get the, you know, the 80% in, and then if the 20% doesn't necessarily happen on, on time, it's, it's, it's water under the bridge. Okay. Like I'm, I know that, okay. Throwing today, I I'm going to, usually I play not long toss, but I ease into it. And I, I mean, I can flick a ball at 225 feet. Like it's not taking stress on my shoulder really, 
but I like to go out there and I like to just elongate my arm and get everything moving because that's how my body feels the best. And now I go on the mound every night and I can feel good on the mound every night as long as I'm not back to back. Obviously, that's a different level, but um, I know that that's going to get me ready each time I go out to the mound and I'm going to be ready to, to make the pitches I need to make based on what throwing I do and what lifting I do. So yeah. I think it's tricky too, because you've, you've gone long relief as well. Like if a starter gets knocked out, you might have to, you know, race in, in the, in the second inning unexpectedly, you know, do you have any things that you've learned just to, you know, do you, do you get hot pregame and then just kind of avoid ever cooling off? Do you kind of stay moving? Um, what's, what's your typical, like, you know, Hey, call comes to the bullpen. How are you getting ready right now? So what I, I do a lot throughout the whole game, and I, you, you kind of know early on if, if you're going to need, be needing a long relief role. Obviously, if the starter is kind of straight, he's got the bases loaded in the first, you know, kind of around a little bit. Um, and then pitch counts also play a factor into it for starters. So you can kind of feel it out. Um, but what I do and what I found has helped me is the more that I keep my shoulder moving, whether lightly tossing some plows into the wall or, or getting one of those, um, the Indian clubs and swinging those around. I have found that I love the Indian club because it just, it's an easy movement. It just keeps your, your joint moving and it keeps you just hot enough to where you can put it down for 30 minutes. And then in 30 minutes you can get on a mount and you can still be able to get them hot within 15 throws usually. So um, I found that, that just keeping my shoulder moving because that's kind of been the 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 nagging injury so to speak throughout my career has always been my shoulder so as long as i keep that warm and keep that moving i really have had no issues with getting hot quickly and being able to get into a game as fast as i can i like it and you know you, you obviously have discovered like a, a good collection of things that are working for you so i'm, I'm curious you know, like what takes you to the next level when you when you self-evaluate and i think that's a that's a key lesson that you know a lot of young pitchers or young athletes in general they aren't there yet. You know, they aren't good self-evaluators. What, what do you feel like you need to work on and you know, how are you working on it day in and day out? So one big thing that I've kind of been working on is just mentally being tougher than the opponent. And I know that it's going to sound kind of like cliche or whatever, but it's, it's looking at the game and, and understanding the game and then going in there and just anyone get lucky on a swing. You know, you can, you can, hit a ball that you execute and you throw down and away and, and you know what you do what you need to do. And eventually you got to just tip your cap, you know, and those are the times where you can't get discouraged and you can't be like, Oh, I made my pitch. Like, why do you hit it out? Like, like I said, anyone can get lucky. I can get lucky. I can throw a 90 mile an hour fastball right down the middle and the best hitter in the world can swing over it. You know, like you got to mentally know that you have to be tougher, be able to have, the crap come your way and push it to the side and say, nah, I'm still the best that I can be. And you can do that every day. And I like, I like to do it every day is when you're watching the game, just like going through your scenario, if you were in what you would do and just mentally grinding along with whoever's pitching in the game at that time, you know, you're going along with them. You're learning with them. You're seeing what they're doing, learning from that, you know? And I think that that's kind of a thing that I've learned since being up at the, the upper levels is, seeing how these guys go about their day and how they've been doing it for 10 years. And you might look at them and be like, you know, their stuff is good. Don't get me wrong. Everyone's stuff is really good. They're here for a reason, but you know, you've played with a lot of different people and you've seen a lot of different arms and a lot better arms. Let's be honest than a lot of guys in the big leagues, but it's 
how they mentally are just so tough and so locked in all the time. And that's what puts them over the top. So learning from them and being able to learn that is, was a a huge part of um, getting to the next level and stuff. I love the the comment on, on watching baseball, just because um, when I, when I worked with Schilling right, right kind of towards the end of his career, I remember distinctly him saying, you know, I could never read swings in real time. I had to go watch video. And he's like, meanwhile, I could sit next to Pedro in the dugout and Pedro would read swing to swing. Like some people have it. Some people don't obviously like a, like a Kluber has always read swings and, and other guys haven't, but I think we've always assumed that it just takes place like in game, like that you're watching it, but you never bother to think that, you know, if you're a starting pitcher on a five day rotation, you're only throwing in 20% of the games, like what's happening in the other four out of five. And, and you start to hear about like pitching staffs, like working together to like talk about what they saw the night before and, you know, compiling, you know, almost like a collective game plan together. I, I think young players don't watch the game enough. You know I mean? You go to parks and things like that. People are all on their cell phones and like, there's something to be said about just like tuning out distractions and like seeing, you know, in your case, how a Yadier Molina and a, you know, you know, Wayne Wright kind of sequence guys and things like that. There's, there's a lot of guys you can learn from if you're just willing to like tune out the distractions and actually pay attention. Literally. And, and it, you can still have fun and enjoy your, your time at the field. Yeah. You don't have to be like, Oh, I'm staring and, and I'm, I'm so locked in 24 seven. No, like enjoy your time. But just like when you're watching the game, just have in the back of your mind, you know, like, Hey, why did he throw this back foot slider? Like, and then why does he follow it up with a changeup? Or what, like, why, why is it tunneling something? Or did he do something earlier in the AB? You know, you're watching the guy. Oh, he fouled off a, a, a fastball inside. He was ready for it. Like he, if he got a hold of it, it would have gone very far. Like, okay, why did he do that? What did I do to kind of tell him that I was throwing it there? Or was he just ready for it? You know, just all there a million different scenarios and questions that you can go through in your head. No, I, I love it too, because you have this, you know, the longer you pitch in the league, you have this sample size, right? You're, you're in the NL central. You're going to face Christian Yelich with the Brewers over and over and over again. Eventually you're going to have, you know, 15 at bats against him where it's, it's really on you. Do I go back and watch all the different ways these at bats unfolded or do I just risk it the chance? And I think there's something to be said about trusting your preparation. You can have confidence in putting that time in on the front end. And I think that's really overlooked among young pitchers. And it's the, the crazy thing about it is in pro ball and, and even in the college game, it's more available than ever before. Like you can go watch that film if you want. It's just a matter of whether you're willing to take the time to do it. Oh yeah, definitely. Everything's available for you now. Everything is, there's not something you can't find. I like that. All right. We always do a lightning round on the tail end of every podcast. So it'd be quick hitter uh, questions. You can answer as short or as long as you want, but uh, first one, favorite pitcher to watch and why? So right now in the game, I would say it actually is Nestor Cortez. What he do? He's fun to watch. He just, he does it all. He changes arm slots. He changes tempo. He spins the ball. He changes it. He throws up in the zone. He throws down. Like he just does everything. And that's kind of like, I'm a guy that kind of, I can't just blow your doors off. You know, I don't have a slider out of hell. I got to kind of pitch like that where, you know, I got to disrupt some time to get them off and stuff. So watching him now, um, I absolutely love it. But back in the day when I was growing up, it was definitely John Lester. Growing up, I just, I, I mean, I, I love John Lester. He was just an awesome guy to watch. That's great. All right. Somewhat similar, but a uh, favorite teammate of all time. You can Ryan, pick them on if you want to. Ryan. We love Ryan. Ryan. <laughs> down. That, that's an easy one. Give uh give a close second to Reed Detmers for his uh for his no, no hitter as well, right? Yeah, I would say I would say Reed, but I've known Ryan a little bit longer. So there you go. 
have to uh, get to know me a little bit better. Nice. All right. And then um, kind of two more that might be blending together, but advice to a teenage Pakinon, if you could go back in time and talk to you as a, a 15 or 16 year old. It's not that serious. Nothing that serious. Enjoy it. Soak everything in because time moves way too fast to not enjoy life. And if, if you had to, to give some advice um, to, you know, parents and kids that are listening to this who are dealing with, with a Tommy John surgery in the teenage years, um, you know, what's the, what's the lesson you think that's the most important? Do the rehab, do the work, grind now. So that way your elbow isn't grinding in five years, you know, like as I mean, do the rehab, do what you're told and just, just do it. It, it might suck and it might take up, it might, cause you to be 15, 20 minutes late to your friend's house, or you might be, you might miss something missing a party or missing a family, whatever. Now it doesn't matter. It, it really doesn't the memory. Yeah. The memory might be cool, but the memory you're going to have on a baseball field and doing something that not a lot of people get the opportunity to do, it outweighs the opera, the thing that everybody has a chance to do, you know, there's going to be plenty of more family gatherings. There's going to be plenty of more beach days, do the work, do the rehab. So that way you can hopefully have beach days when you're in your <laughs> 40, you know, like enjoy life. It's never. That- I love it, man. Well, listen, this was uh this is really good stuff. Folks can find you. It's uh it's packy underscore Naughton um, on Instagram packy underscore eight on twitter i was pretty active and engaged on social media so i'm sure people will check you out um this is great man uh cool to hear a little bit of stuff that i, that I hadn't heard from our conversations over the years so i i learned some good things in spite of how much we've, we've chatted over the years so appreciate you taking the time thank you eric i enjoyed it a lot and this was awesome like you said long overdue i'm glad that i got on that for, for sure man good luck the rest of the way we'll be cheering for you thanks eric i'll talk soon all right yeah